Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. One. Monday, August second, nineteen ninety-nine. That day had a good day feeling to it, and Alex put stock in good day feelings. It wasn't even ten o'clock when he moved that old Civic on some kid from ASU Polytech. That off-white lump had dogged his lot for over a year. His two salesmen called it the Unrolling Stone, and they weren't all wrong. But Alex had pegged the kid the moment he ambled into view. Just knew he was the type of young stubble to think that with a good socket wrench and a couple of trips to the library, he could turn a junker into a steel. The Civic was made for someone like that, and Alex dove on him like a falcon before his subordinates could botch it. And he had just wrapped up a phone call with the golf course in Silverland Village. He had his first tea time set for tomorrow morning. Silverland was one of the up-and-coming neighborhoods in Mesa, and getting a place there had been a coup for a bachelor in his late thirties with a used car lot. But he had waged a successful campaign on two fronts. First, identifying and shamelessly courting a two-thirds majority of the HOA Applications Committee, and second communicating to them in this courting process that, between used cars and some timely stock market investments, he had made quite a bit of money. A successful life, he often told the two young salesmen he considered protégés, consisted of seizing those moments when possibilities can blossom. The times when you don't just add assets to your life, one bean at a time, but when you have the rare chance to multiply your beans. That metaphor had flaws, but it was visual, and that was the key thing. He often recalled that his business had come about because of the barely running 74 Oldsmobile Omega he had won in a marathon poker session with some college buddies. He'd had a good night feeling that night. He sauntered into Pete's office. Pete had been with him four years, great with data. Pete could give you bullet points on every car they had like they were NBA draft prospects. But he talked too much when selling, didn't know how to step out of the way. Pete was at his computer, eyes darting back and forth like he was dreaming. Won't be sentimental about that Civic, will you, Pete? Pete broke from the monitor and gave a politely slanted grin. Don't know how you do it, Mr. Pike. Alex came around Pete's desk, waving off the praise. It's like I always say, people sell themselves the car, we're just here to give them the right nudge when they need it. Now he looked at Pete's computer screen didn't recognize the program. What do you have going here? Pete talked around the hand, propping up his chin. Have you heard of this thing, Napster? Alex shook his head. Name a song you like. 
Alex took the first choice that came to mind. I'm a believer. Pete grinned. The monkeys? Alex took the chiding look in stride. It's the first song I remember hearing when I came to America. Pop music helped me learn English. Alex mused that it had made him American too. He had listened to a lot of music and shed the last traces of his original German accent before he turned nine. Pete nodded. Monkeys it is. Tapping at his keyboard, he produced a scrolling list within seconds. There we go. That one looks legit. I'm a believer. He gave the mouse a decisive double-click, then leaned back in his chair. We'll have it in about six minutes. You're downloading that? Alex asked. Pete curled his lip and nodded, which is what he did when he was pleased with himself. What is it? Like a store? Pete shook his head. No, it's like uh, people's collections from all over, all over the place, decentralized. It's like a buddy of yours has a song you like and makes your tape copy. Only now everyone with this program is my buddy, and the copy sounds just as good as the original on their computer. Alex was rarely surprised when the internet came up with some new miracle gimmick. It had been the key to his investment strategy over the past four years. The first time his broker had mentioned dot-com stocks, Alex had felt an impression of such exploding enthusiasm it had nearly knocked him back physically. That feeling had shifted in recent months, and he was thinking of cashing out. But he didn't think that meant the computer universe was done coughing up good ideas. Processing Pete's explanation, he got to the real bottom-line question. And you're not paying for that. Pete shook his head, lip curled even further this time. This can't be legal. If ten million people drop one gum wrapper each, they won't all get busted for littering. Alex put the boss into his tone of voice. Just the same, keep it off the company computer. He felt the words hanging in the air. Serious, Pete, on your own time. Pete gave a grimace and a reluctant pause, but acquiesced and shut it down. Still, as Alex walked back to his office, he knew he'd remember the name of that program, and he felt himself irresistibly singing under his breath. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Alex usually took his lunch late because when you saw a little extra trickle of customers during other people's lunch hours, he left a lot at one thirty, and headed for the Fiesta Village Mall. Alex wasn't crazy about a mall, but he was meeting his Uncle Herbert for lunch, and Uncle Herbert had developed a latter-day obsession with the noodles at the Mongolian barbecue place in the food court. On the plus side, it was barely two miles west on the Superstition Freeway. Alex spent longer searching out a quality parking spot than he did getting to the place. Uncle wasn't really a blood relative, but as far as Alex knew, he didn't have any of those anyway. 
and Uncle Herbert suitably played the role Alex always imagined for uncles, equal parts buddy and bad influence. This had persisted from Alex's first memories of the man until today. Try as he might, he just couldn't match Uncle Herbert in rascally behavior. Even now, Uncle, with his silly sandstone-colored tan, and only a ring of white fuzz still wrapping his skull, was on the prowl. Alex, look, he said conspiratorially, even as Alex was still setting his tray down and tugging at the napkin dispenser. The woman to your right, she is a lonely divorcee. Alex stole a glance and caught the impression of a drum-tight face and lips like a plush ottoman. What makes you say that? Uncle took in a long noodle with a delighted slurp. See the size of that purse? The fresh shine of the fingernails? Today this woman spends like she wants to feel beautiful again. Unlike Alex, who you'd never mistake for anything but a true Yankee, Uncle still flashed a trace of German accent. Alex guessed it was a matter of choice, like holding on to an old driver's license just to remember what you looked like. What happened to what's-her-name, the midwife? Alex asked. Uncle waved at the air like a man erasing a chalkboard. She lost her sex drive. Do you see me weeping over it? The woman was gassy. Alex gave the little laugh that, in his youth, had been a wild guffaw at Uncle's antics. Ten years ago it was still at least a robust chuckle, but these days it wasn't much more than an mm-hmm <laughs> escaping from pressed lips. He admired Uncle for maintaining his old tricks, but after three straight decades of them, Alex couldn't summon much fresh appreciation. Have you visited your mother this week? Uncle asked, expertly detonating a little charge of guilt in a vulnerable crack. Uncle, it's Monday. Alex never won this conversation. Yes, and tomorrow it will be Tuesday. And who has time for their mother on a Tuesday? And on Wednesday you begin thinking of your weekend. And what strapping bachelor chooses to include his mother in his weekend plans? Alex pushed his hands back through his hair. You know, I see her a lot more than most sons see their biological mothers. Biological? Uncle squished his plastic fork into his noodles and let it stand there, upright like a flagpole. Do not use that ugly word. Any woman can push a baby out of her womb. Your mother took a boy out of East Germany. Tell me this isn't a harder thing. It is harder, uncle. Tell me she does not deserve something from the boy she raised so well and so selflessly. She does deserve it. Uncle reclaimed the fork and now waggled it decisively at Alex, relishing his triumph as much as he did every time they spoke 
these same words. You will go see her today. I have no one to cover the lot today. At this point, Alex was grateful he had anything to stand on in this negotiation. Tomorrow, then. To hell with it being Tuesday. Yes, tomorrow, after my golf game. Uncle grunted. Silverland. I do not know why you would be so eager to live in that place. You know who builds beautiful walls around themselves? Zealots and dead pharaohs. Alex found the opportunity to smirk and repost. You only think it's dull because you won't go after married women. Uncle froze for a moment, making the perfect impression of a wide-eyed reproach. But he soon gave in to a helpless grin and cackled. Who knows? If you tell me you like it, I may just steal one of them from you. And the rich possibilities of this kept them well occupied until Uncle slurped the last of his noodles and boogied off in the direction of the divorcee. Afternoon brought more success. He struck a great deal with a young couple, who drove into his life in an old geo and drove back out of it in a newish minivan. The geo had fuel line problems, which would be an off-the-books breeze for the mechanic who owed Alex a favor. The man of the couple looked like he didn't imagine himself driving a minivan at his age, but the woman had the glow of someone doing her damnedest to make a baby. So Alex presumed everyone was getting something out of this situation. Towards the dinner hour, Alex stepped into the private restroom in his office, tugged his tie loose, and unbuttoned his collar. His shirts were too tight these days, he thought, pinching unconsciously at his side, as he did. He had been a fair hand at track and field back in high school, shining at discus and pole vaults, though he had enjoyed cross-country running best. But now he ate richer and exercised less, and the flab had made its slow but persistent invasion. He changed into a light shirt and a good pair of jeans, and freshened up his cologne. The sun was near the horizon, making that sunset swirling in royal purple and orange cream that everyone who lived in Mesa told everyone who didn't live in Mesa about, but were never believed. He felt cheery and strong, a man who'd made a good Monday, and it was with that positive attitude that he left the lot and swung onto old superstition for the drive to his favorite bar. Early August meant that soon the Cardinals would be playing preseason games, and that made for wild speculations at Alex's bar. The Cards had won their first postseason game in over fifty years last season, and in the delirium some were even daring whisper the words Super Bowl. With Plummer getting better every year and the blazing receiver they picked up in the draft, why not them? Why not now to finally break the old curse? 
Today, Alex was optimistic about Cardinals. He had his favorite booth, a basket of hot wings, plentiful beer, four friends around who laughed at his jokes, a profitable day behind him, and a morning golf game ahead of him. If this was the world delivering on his good day feeling, he would call the world generous. Of course, if the world had it in mind to throw in the brunettes at the pool table, that would be the finest punctuation possible. Her body looked made of sharp lines, a dancer's physique, maybe. Tall, boots, tight jeans, no jewellery, some weathering in her complexion, but she wore it well. Alex was starting to spark to women who embraced adulthood. She was with friends, but separate from them. Could be she wanted to be left to herself, or... It could be she wanted to be noticed without succumbing to the usual trashy ways of seeking attention. Alex took another look at the way her jeans curved and walked over to the pool table, feeling impervious with accumulated success. What words they exchanged came from a very old script, one repeating itself at a lot of bars around the country this Monday night. Alex stepped out onto the bedroom porch of his new Silverland home. The moon was rising in the east, but even in the sparkling dark, the heat lingered. It was still maybe 85 out, give or take. Overhead, the brilliant disarray of the stars. Down on earth, the neatly ordered glow of planned streets and uniform lamps. The brunette was in the shower and it had not yet been discussed if she would stay the night. He felt a rush of life at the sight of the moon. Even after such a full and satisfactory day, he felt vibrant and hungry for sensation. If he took this feeling to bed with him, she would stay the night without doubt. There had been more than one or two would-be stepfathers in Alex Pike's childhood, but he had always recalled Ben, the stout one from over at the airbase, and a night when Alex's mother had kissed him on the cheek as he manned a small backyard grill. This is the best moment in life for a man, kid, Ben had boasted. No matter the castle, when you're king of it, no bastard can take that away from you. That's how Alex felt on that night king of his castle, new Silverland resident, the man who sold the Civic, the conqueror of the lanky brunette. Out of the air came a high whistling whinny, a sharp cackle from the desert. The golf course was lined with saguaro, and an elf owl had nested in the hollow of one of the cacti to raise its young. It was a predator's cry to the small, scurrying creatures, and a salute to the moon. Alex returned to the bedroom, and that night he dreamed vividly. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by 
Thomas Vibog Thune.